Hi, this is Tony Silva. Charles Wiz. And we are Two Teachers Talking. And we get together each month, talk about uh, teaching, teaching English in Japan, the fun, the problems, the headaches, and everything else. And uh, today, <laughs> um, tackling a big one, um, talking about um, teacher depression. And, uh, you know, maybe it's the time of the year. <laughs> um, we've also got that uh, pandemic thing. And uh, probably a lot of other factors. Uh, it, it, I mean, I think for educators, depression is always uh, something of a problem. It's always there in the background. I think a lot of us and our students are um, being uh, confronted and stuffed in the face with uh, this problem a little bit more right now. Uh, but it's something, that's, despite how common it is, I think it's something that... Uh, People don't talk that much about, and um, we're going to remedy that. We are. Uh, <laughs> well, we're going to talk about it. Uh, we're not going to remedy the depression, but we're going to remedy the problem not talking about it. At least that will maybe give people something to think about, something to talk about. And um, probably start off with just like a big disclaimer. It's like, yeah, I, you know, we are literally not. just two teachers. <laughs> we, we are not mental health professionals. We we make no claims to any kind of uh, expertise in this area, other than you know our own personal experiences, <laughs> which are many. Um, but uh, yeah, we please do not take this for any kind of authoritative professional medical advice. We're just uh, kind of shooting from the hip and, and talking about our observations and our own our own thoughts on this. So uh, take it for what it's worth. Yeah. Do not try this at home. Yeah. You know, if you have a choice. So, yes. yes it's, it's a real <laughs> disclaimer. The real f- point here is that we've been talking about, you know, the ups and downs of teaching. But I always feel, you know, Tony, that, you know, that old, that feeling of going into the teacher's room, you can't talk about the failure, right? We've yeah, talked yeah, about we've this talked before, about the, where the only before. time yeah. we had that, I had that feeling was, I think, when we worked together. Mm-hmm. And there was this real, but that took, that was just such a magical combination of, you know, people who were very similar, open-minded, but. It was a very special environment. Uh, yes, it really was. And. The things that I want to talk about um, or, you know, explore are just, you know, things dealing with the inner thoughts (laughs) that I have sometimes and that I feel might not be addressed. And I know that um, has come up with some fellow teachers who have become friends or are friends. And there, there's a certain openness. But there's a lot of things I think that people can't talk about. And we're going to talk, I think, about, you know, I think we have to distinguish between teaching while depressed and depressed while teaching Mm -hmm. (laughs) and depressed because of teaching. And we also, I think, have to make a good distinction, I think, between what we mean by depressed and depression, because depression is like a really serious thing. Um, and we're not talking about, or I'm not talking about the depression, you know, being a person who's suffering from depression, but that feeling we get, we're depressed 
because we're teaching while we're teaching or something happens. Would you agree that that's a good way to proceed? Yeah, yeah, I think so. But it, but it is a, a progression, and I think that uh, one can very lead easily lead to the other. And so it's something that, I mean, that's why we're talking about it, but it's something to be aware of and, and, and acutely aware of because uh, it's easy to sweep things under the rug and pretend that they're not as serious as they might be. Um, and it's really hard to know what that, what those points are, but, uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's not just having a bad day. And, um, Mm. we talked a lot about, um, uh, before we talked before, and actually it was like such a long time ago. We talked about teacher burnout. It was 2015. Wow. I feel much more burned out than when we talked about it. It was February. (laughs) (laughs) It was this time of the year. (laughs) Gee, do you think that there's a coincidence there? I do. I do. I do. Um, absolutely. Um, because this is, this is the time. Um, it's a, there's a, there's this weird fold in the, in the academic calendar in Japan. So you have the winter vacation and then some people are finished. Some schools finish. You don't have to come back, but most schools you do. And you come back for three weeks or two or maybe three of teaching and then final exams. And that kind of yo-yo, that bang, bang in and out. That's not good for anybody. <laughs> that's really not good for anybody. Uh, so that's a contributing factor. And then, yeah, it's the it's the end of the term. It's the end of the year. People are tired. Um, there's a lot of fatigue and uh, exhaustion, and just just getting worn down. And you know. In a lot of ways, the fall semester is easier than the spring semester. The weather generally is kinder. There are more holidays. You do get the winter break. Um, unlike spring, where you have that long haul from Golden Week until July, and you've got rainy season, and then the heat, and the the stress of a new year. Um, so the spring is no party either. But you've gone through all that, and you've gone through the fall, and then you've got the Christmas, you're coming back, and so... That is a factor. Um, and uh, like for me, the summers are killer. But for a lot of people, the cold is a killer. You know, it, it really makes it difficult for them to get out of bed in the morning. Uh, the, they're low energy. And uh, something that affects me, I am very, very sensitive to the um, the shorter days and the lack of sunlight. Um, it's a thing. They call it a seasonal affective disorder, SAD, uh, and uh, you know, a real contributor to depression. And um, yeah, when I lived in Chicago, it was a huge thing. Each year, by the end of January, I was not right. <laughs> uh, you know, again, depressed, um, ready to go postal a lot of times. Uh, because yeah, you wake up in the morning, go to work, it's dark, you come home, it's dark, uh, worked in a place where there wasn't a lot of sunlight and, uh, it had physical effects. So there's a lot of things that, that, that contribute to this downer <laughs> atmosphere. Um, and then there's the things that are just, you know, specific to teaching too, right? 
sense. Yes. <laughs> you're, you're not going to help me out, are you? No, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to so, let you. <laughs> you're letting me, let me do dwindle here in the wind, huh? Dwindle. So, um, yeah, dwindle. But it's, you did know, you, you say, by the way? The year. Um, oh, go ahead. Did you say dwindle in the wind? Yeah, that's what I said. But. <laughs> that's a good one. I like that. Well, I don't. What, what do you? I, you know, I forget the English. What is it when you're hanging on a rope and you're just like spinning? What's the, what's the word for that? Depressed. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I know what you wanted, but I just had to mark the fact that dwindle. Thanks. I'm, yeah. I'm, thanks I'm, I'm dwindling in the wind. Seems I'm ta- like I'm a, taking this out. I like post. that. I'm editing I, all that out. Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, but. I think that you're right. There's so much that's just in the nature of the seasons, right? That again, as you say, seasonal affective disorder, there seems to be a good amount of research that people get affected by that. And fortunately in Japan, right, the days are getting longer again, but there's a point where it doesn't, you don't get light until about seven o'clock and by about four forty-five, it's twilight. Dark. It's yeah. getting dark. It was much worse up in Hokkaido. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I think that has a lot to do with it. But I'm wondering what the relationship is between just fatigue, that, right, and being depressed, and how easy it might be to confuse those two, right? That the feeling of being fatigued, no energy, you know, feeling lethargic, not being able to get motivated. Basically, to me, I can't, I can't tell it the difference. It sounds normal, right? Right. <laughs> it's what else is new. Right. But as for the teaching things, I was just contemplating this while you were talking, is that in Japan, they do this really weird thing where I have to finish up my you know, yearly grades or semester grades, and then they're asking me for the syllabus pretty much at the same time at places. And that's a real hard thing to do, to be grading, right? And sure, doing sure. syllabus. Now, ideally, the grading would be giving me feedback about how effective the previous syllabus is. Yeah. And then I would incorporate that into the new syllabus. But it's just because of all the paperwork, right? The, the tendency is, well, this syllabus has basically worked. And again, the idea or notion that actually my grades are reflecting actual learning, which <laughs> is probably the real reason I'm depressed. <laughs> well, you did but, start this off by saying in an ideal world, I think. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I think... I want to work there. I want to work in an ideal world. Well, what is that? That I love the saying where um, it says that People would rather live in a familiar hell than an unfamiliar heaven. No, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah, I would. <laughs> but I, I see this all the time with the refusal for change, mm. and uh, you know, people just being willing to stay in the same rut as I would consider it or call it a rut. And I'm not excluding myself from this category, by the way. But I think a lot of it is at the end of the year or the end of the semester. Because I, I do have – I work with students for a year um, at one place and then I have my, my seminar students, which is a different category. But you know, at the end of the semester to look and just see, well, you know, I'm not really sure how much they learned. I'm not sure how much they progressed. And I think what depresses me, Tony, what really gets me or causes me to f- feel uh, really uncomfortable is that whenever I look at things – 
read things, when students haven't succeeded, almost always there's the responsibility is laid at the foot of the teacher for not teaching properly, not teaching effectively. And you mean you, know, you mean by the institution, by society, by yourself? Kind of all three, and by mm. colleagues. Okay. Right. right. Instead of just you know, there are just some times where. You know, you have students, and we've talked about this, who are at an institution, at a school, that does not have, um, what, what is it you called it? The institutional, uh, what was the term? Not atmosphere. Culture. Culture. Institutional culture. You know, that it's a non-learning culture where the yeah. students are, I, you know. Oh, that's, yeah, it's huge. Right, where you know, it's for so example, from school to school, yeah, and, and it's right. expectations and attitudes right. and right. relationships all yeah. the way down. Yeah, yeah. it's so different. And so the idea that you know you can't walk in to a, into let's say a teacher room or something and say you know I don't know what to do with these students. You know, they're they're just they're rude, or for example, they're um, unmotivated, or they're actually you know, passive aggressive in their refusal to do hmm. homework and things like this. And almost always there's going to be somebody says, well, have you tried this or have you tried that? And I want to say, I've tried everything. <laughs> and so I think that part of, you know, how much of it is my responsibility? And again, this is one of those discussions I think that you can't start with a lot of other teachers. I can start it with the people who I feel safe with. But, you know, what are the limits of my ability as a teacher? And I'm going to run a little bit more, Tony, with something that you put into uh, your notes that you sent over. And that is, I thought it was an amazingly insightful point, which is the romanticization of teaching. And oh, classroom teaching. Yeah, have classroom teaching. Okay, so yeah, you go you're in. going to the to the COVID, to the post COVID situation. It's like, yeah, it's as when we 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 think about it, and I was like, oh yeah, you know, do they go back in the classroom? And the classroom was like, well, you know, reality check. Do you remember what that was? Like? <laughs> you really, you really want to go back there? Yeah. But I mean, in general, you, though, ahead. the romanticism yeah. of teaching, that you go in, you're going to be able to affect young people, yeah. you're going to be changing oh, yeah. lives, the, making the, their lives the better. The Hollywood vision of a teacher, yeah. Yeah, yes, yes. And, you know, the, <laughs> the idea that, like, which, what is it? It's like, I think it's to Sir With Love. Okay. Old, old movie yeah, where Sydney, yeah, Sydney Potty goes into sure. this really rough school in, in Britain, in England. Yeah. And like what? It took him like 15, 20 minutes to transform the classroom. Like, I, so I, I think it was longer than that, but, but he does have, he does have a hell of a transformation. I give you that. In a very short amount of time, I think. And I've never, seen that kind of transformation in my experience, which maybe just, you know, speaks to the kind of teacher I am. But in all my time teaching, I've never heard anyone talk about a immediate transformation of, you know, students who are unmotivated to being motivated classroom wide like that. So there's that part. Well, that's, also, that's a fantasy. I mean, that, that a short, you know, a short term transformation of an entire classroom is, 
a fantasy. Yes, of course, I understand that, but <laughs> the. <laughs> So don't, don't don't judge yourself too harshly. If you oh, I'm not. I please, trust me. I do not judge myself by Hollywood standards. It's not something I I tend to do. But I'm, you know, let me stop for a second here. We talked about this, and that there's really a a question of how much. This is a personal topic. I think it's a very very personal topic. You know, going in and teaching a class that just bombs. And coming home and, you know, just feeling terrible and miserable and not understanding why the class bombed when you thought you had a pretty good lesson plan. You had pretty good activities scheduled. And going back in to the class the next time and then bombing again. And the question becomes, you know, I think I know what I'm doing in a classroom. I've had success in the classroom. What's growing on? What's wrong with me is the immediate question. And that can lead to you know, really terrible feelings, you know, not, not really, uh, you know, a lot of like self-loathing, actually, like what's wrong with me? Why am I such a bad teacher? Why did I go into this field? I'm not good at this. Um, <clears throat> right. And then there's, of course, imposter syndrome, right? Which is like, I really don't know what I'm doing. And <laughs> and I'm not worried about my students finding out that I'm an imposter. I'm just you know worried about having to admit it to myself. But there are those times when you, you get a, a class that there's nothing you can do with them, right? There's nothing yep. you can do. And it's just the worst feeling in the world. Because you keep trying, you keep trying and trying, and nothing works and nothing works. And again, at what point can I just say, well, you know, it's just the group dynamic. It's just the people there. And that's just not something that's allowable or allowed to say that much, I think. Because it's helpful. There's always strategies you can try. But there are just some times where there are classes that are just... I have found there's nothing I can do. Maybe another teacher could do something, but given, you know, my skills and abilities, there's nothing I can do. And that's that's kind of uh what's the word I'm looking for? Not distressing, but uh depressing. Depressing? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's anyway. what, I think that's what it is. <laughs> I think it's okay. depressing. And and I think and, and we've all had that experience. Um we've had classes that for one reason or another just didn't work. Um I have gotten lucky with a, a couple of those situations. Um and it required me to, to uh do things in the classroom that hmm, I didn't imagine doing. And even as I was doing those things, realized that these were not the things I should be doing. But when I tried them, they worked. And this is this is actually at that school where we taught together, and uh, this was after you left, and uh, <clears throat> things changed. 
uh, dra- dramatically. And uh, so I was uh, uh, facing, I think I did I have five classes in a day, four classes, four, at least four, maybe five, maybe I had five, that year I had five classes. Um, they had opened the floodgates and there were large classes. There were of, of students who probably, you know, not probably, they really shouldn't be in, in a university. Uh, they reminded me of the, the students that I taught when I first came at uh, Semongako in, in, in Osaka. And, uh, yeah, you're used to teaching a certain way, certain kind of student, certain level. And uh, you walk into a classroom and, and nothing that you've been doing works at all, at all. <clears throat> and um, I don't remember the process was, you know, you know whatever self-examination I did or whatever I looked at what I was doing. And um don't know why Hay came to this, this quote-unquote solution. Um, but just got to the point. It's like, okay, I can't teach this class. I can't teach this, but, but what I can do is I can make you do some things that resemble English. And so I'd each week I would give them a model dialogue and then I would sometimes put them in pairs or groups or sometimes let them choose themselves and have them create their own dialogue based on the model, memorize it, come up and perform it in front of me. And when you can do it well, you can leave. That's not teaching, my opinion. But damn it, they responded and they tried and they produced. And one of those kids in that class went to the United States, hitchhiked across the country, came back to the school to talk to me about his experience <laughs> going across the United States. And it's like, and like kid, I wasn't teaching you. You 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 defeated me. <laughs> I lost. I, I I gave up. I surrendered. Um I don't know what that means, but that was something that I did out of total desperation. I, I did exhausted every, as you said, no matter what I do, I can't do it. I, well, I did something completely different. And it it just happened to work with that group. I don't think it, you know, the next year I went, if, if I went back to that school and tried it again, it probably wouldn't work. I don't know what it was. It, it, it worked that time. But um, we've all been in that spot where it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I've got nothing. I, I, I don't know what else to do. Um, and then you start questioning. Is they go, am I a teacher? Do I do I, what? What's wrong? What's wrong with me? I, and on and on. And if you couple that with all kinds of other things, it's a doesn't take much just to push you off the ledge there. Um, it, it's hard, you know, especially now. And as you said, like, you know, this time of the year, you're looking back at the year and it's like, well, you know, <laughs> uh, 
after this, you know, year of hard work, what kind of, and this is, but this is something with teaching, right? You're talking about visible ward. If you're, if you're painting a fence, you get to the end of the fence, it's like, yeah, okay, you can look back and say, hey, that's a damn good looking fence. You know, at the end of the school year, you look back, it's like, sometimes it doesn't look any different than it did in April. Um, you know, in like December, like, and especially now January come back and it's like, you know, you really don't have much chance to, you know, opportunity to change anything at this point. And, you, you know, you just kind of, this is what it is. And sometimes you can kind of think that's okay. And sometimes it doesn't feel okay. <laughs> sometimes you feel like a failure. Um, so it's, it's, it's rough. Yeah, that's not always the case. Sometimes, yeah, you're, you're really damn lucky and, um, things are all roses, but, uh, that doesn't, doesn't happen as often as you would like for sure. But yeah, it's a, it's a real danger at this time of the year to look back and say, it's like, well, yeah, I don't know what happened. Yeah. Uh, so no wonder. Yes. And I wonder how much of it is because a lot of us are teaching general English classes. That's a and, big part of it for sure. Right. You're not teaching students in the major. I mean, when I teach students, who are majoring, let's say, in English education. Ostensibly, they've got an interest in their subject. There's, they've got some kind of motivation. But there's like some students are like, are you going to become a teacher? No. <laughs> Why are you in, in this Are you never going to use this? No. No, right. So, yeah, I understand what you did with uh, the students at the place we used to work together. But when I get to that point, right, where it's like, okay, I'm going to give you – this to read, you're going to learn the vocabulary, you're going to get quizzed on the vocabulary, then you're going to make a dialogue with the vocabulary and I'm going to check you with it, just so the students can learn vocabulary. It still doesn't remove the depression. Because now it's like, now it's even worse in a way, because this is what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm down to this. This is what... Yeah, you've given up. I've given... Exactly. 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 So the so the problem for me is that the solution in those situations is uh, defeat, and I go in and I hate myself while I'm doing these things, and but I realize there's nothing else I can do. The time I spend in the classroom is not engaging for me, Right. It's just like, you know, I feel like, yeah, you you guys win. You wore me down. Kind of like the system, like the bureaucracy of um, education that so many of us felt that we could make some positive changes. But over time, you find out that so little actually changes. And so I've just. Some of the time. Some of the time. Okay. I understand. All right. There are some changes. Yeah. I don't want to get total gloom and doom because. Well, let's go. Let's go. Let's go full gloom and doom. Okay. Come on. Let's just go all the way here. Yeah. Of course, there are still. There are magical times. I. Well, you know, this this idea of the podcast started from about two weeks ago, I think, where I mentioned I just had one of those days where I just came home and I was just crushed. Yeah. I mean, really beyond belief. And even my wife was like, you, you know, you're really much sadder than usual. And then, like yesterday, I walk out of a classroom and there are three students, two of whom took my class last year, one of whom is in my class now. 
And they were all like, hi, how are you? And one student said that they're studying cognitive linguistics. That's what they're going to study. And we started talking and the other students were talking. And I had one of those great conversations with students. And it was like, oh, yeah, this is why I love the job. And then I felt really good. I walked down to go buy my lunch, and then I got depressed again, thinking about how rare those moments are. <laughs> <laughs> You're just greedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Tony, I think that that's really maybe the point. Is I want more of that. Well, and the point is that I think when I was younger, I could when I was a big, more of a beginning teacher, I could just keep it up because it was like, oh, it's, I just haven't learned what to do. And now I feel like not this situation again. So <laughs> I'm not going to go ahead and blame myself and I'm not going to go ahead and blame students and I'm not going to blame the system. But what I am going to blame to some degree is that there's kind of like um, – Right, this silence that we're supposed to maintain, that you can't go in and just say, you know, I really had a great lesson, and these students just did not, you know, they didn't do their share. They didn't do their work. These students, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I guess what I'm trying to suggest to everyone it's not that you have the right to get angry at students, of course, but of course there are times when students really do things that make you know the teacher angry. Like, uh, like a st I had a student who completely copy and pasted an entire mind map about ChatGPT, <laughs> and they were um, reading their mind map to students in um, a, a breakout room on Zoom, and they obviously couldn't pronounce the words. You know, it was like, you know, enhanced logarithms to, you know, define something or other. And I was like, the student refused to admit that they had copy and pasted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They said, no, I wrote this. And I said, okay, read this to me. And they couldn't read it. And I said, what does the word mean? And there was silence, you know. Um, and I said, you copied this. And they said, no, these are my own words. I said, did you use a dictionary or machine translation to write this? And they said, no. <laughs> and, you know, something like that. It just, you know, what do you do? Where do you go with that? And I say, no, I say goodbye. <laughs> so I say, yeah. sorry. I says, yeah. I made it very clear. This kind of pl the plagiarism is an immediate fail for the class. Goodbye. Yeah. But again, even though I say that, that doesn't take away the feeling, the sadness, right? The feeling. Oh, of it's always how it's did always, I? It's well, always you know, heartbreaking. How did right. I fail with this kid? And right. I don't with with that in that situation. I know. I, 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 I make know. it so clear, and everybody everybody understands, and that's not my failure. I, I don't. I don't feel. I don't ever feel bad about that. Hmm. Yeah, I feel bad when because I, I make it, it clear. <laughs> I make it clear. <laughs> Yeah, but I make it clear too, and then they don't feel bad. Well, I still feel like I didn't do enough. What did I do? Didn't I explain it clearly enough? What was you know? And then it's like I'm upset about uh, you know, <laughs> could I have done more? What did I do wrong? You know, stuff like that. Um, but again, as I said, it's not so much the rationale or the reason. 
that I'm interested in addressing. It's like having this feeling, being able to talk about the feeling and, you know, trying to find ways to deal with the feeling. I don't um, need strategies or tactics or techniques or activities to take into the classroom that will help me get them more effective. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when I have deployed, used the experience and knowledge I have of teaching and it still doesn't work. There's no magic. There's not even, you know, zero magic. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, that situation we talk about where you feel like the students are just, you know, um, sucking up all your energy and you're not getting anything back. You know, you go in, you're happy, you're, you know, you're animated, you're excited, you're putting on, you know, that kind of um, teacher persona that you always thought was great that the teacher comes in and you can see that the teacher's really thrilled to be in the classroom. And five minutes later, you know, your bubbles popped and you have nothing left. Do you ever, or have you ever walked out of a classroom? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Cause you, 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 you describe that and that's, um, one of the things that I've, when I've kind of got to that limit, that's one of the things that I've done. How many times have you walked out of a classroom? Oh. Well, certainly less than 10, probably mm-hmm. less than five. Mm. Yeah. I, I remember I, once. I can't, tr- I can't trust my memory at this point, but not often. I, I, I remember two or three times distinctly. And I imagine there's probably been another one or two or three. And at some point it was like, not sure whether it was like walking out of the classroom or just ending the class earlier. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's different. Uh, Yeah. So it's like those kind of things kind of blur together, but I would, I would say maybe, maybe, maybe five, maybe less. Okay, so in your entire career, how many times have you ended classes early because it just wasn't going well? And I mean more than 15 minutes, not just 10 minutes. Maybe, maybe another five. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. In 30 years. I think, yeah. <laughs> I so, guess that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think how many I've done. I don't think I've done more than 10, but to, if I were just to be on the safe side, I'd say maximum 15, but I'm convinced somewhere between five and 10. I remember once I walked out of a class where I was a part-time instructor and I immediately went to, you know, the director's office, knocked on the door and said, look, um, I want you to know I finished my class early. I needed to walk out before I thought that I would lose my temper with the students. They were not, um, you know, responding. And the person was pretty cool about it. They knew me and they said, okay, no worries. Right. Yeah. So that's okay. But I don't know. I don't um, No, sometimes it's just, even then that's not the point is that I ended the class, but just the incredible overwhelming sense of failure when I do that. Or when I've done that, like, why am I not good enough? Again, you know, I get overwhelmed by that. If I'd been a better teacher, if I knew more, if I were a better human being, uh, you know, I'm just saying, it's just that feeling. That's just that feeling that I'm talking about. 
And I, I think part of the that feeling can come from um, maybe some of the times um, expectations, expectations that are too high. I mean, we shouldn't expect like every class to go, and of course we don't, to go perfectly, yada, yada, yada. Or, or for us, you know, expectation is think that, yeah, that I'm capable of, of turning any group of students into, you know, and put any number of students into a classroom and I can walk in there and, and make it a, a great success. As, yeah, you can do that sometimes. But I think it's is uh, realistic uh, to uh, expect to be able to do that all the time. I think you have to build in uh, the expectation that there's going to be some of those classes that bomb. And because um, uh, I don't you know, we're kind of not running out of time, but I think it's also worth it maybe at this time to talk a little bit how the pandemic, the post-pandemic has maybe made this a lot harder or a lot worse or has made the teaching a lot harder and a lot worse. Um, and we, we, we talk, you mentioned a little bit already about like the romanticizing the teaching, like not only like, yeah, okay, like the, uh, the, the Hollywood image of the teacher coming in and changing everything with a stand and deliver and to serve with love and, and all, and all the others. Um, but you know, we, we're out of the classroom, most of us, for a good amount of the time a couple of years ago. And then when we were, it's like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to get back and get back into the classroom. It's like, well, it wasn't necessarily always that good as, as we've just been talking, right? It's, it's, it's been hard. And uh, as we go back to the classroom, or as you go back to the classroom, <clears throat> the students come back to the classroom, um, things are different Um <clears throat> Probably more for the kids than for us, I think. Um, and a lot of it is um, the kids that we're teaching, their um, adolescent years, uh, you know, being at home, lose a lot of that socialization, um, both with their peers, you know, among themselves, uh, especially in Japan, right? Because that's so important, the group thing. Um just how to learn, how they've been learning versus, you know, learning at home on a computer versus learning in a classroom. Um, a lot of them, you know, they really don't know how to do that. They don't know how to be in a classroom anymore. Uh, and you might have been you know, in the high school class versus a university class. That's really different. And, um, <clears throat> Yeah, interaction with teachers. You know, I know, like with with your class at charge, you really put a big emphasis on manners and and things. And you know, if they've been at home, you know, picking their nose for the last two years, and they come back to the classroom, it's like it's a big ask to them to like shift gears automatically. And you know, what you know, whatever it is, you know, whenever they you know vocalize something, you know, you know, out of control or. Or, 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 um, you know, they're interacting with, they're, they're picking up their phones and things. That whole classroom environment is something that's completely foreign to them, let alone all the other things that are hard about for the, hard for them going from high school to university, sitting in a university classroom. And also 
the fact that they've been, you know, not just in terms of our classrooms, um, but the, the, the real damage um, that they've suffered, you know, whether, you know, emotionally, developmentally, academically. Um, and um, my guess is there's not a lot of schools that are putting a lot of resources into dealing with that in turn, extra kinds of counseling, ex- extra kinds of information or whatever it is, resources that uh, are available for them. And um, all kinds of stresses that they've had, right? Um you know what the what their family illnesses. You know, somebody in their family may have actually died. Um, f- finances, jobs, and things. Um, all kinds of stresses at home that they're dealing with. And then for us, the teachers, right? Um, yeah, we've got our own, the false memories that we you know, talk about in the pre-COVID days. Um, and you know, the teaching by itself is just a really high-stress job. And then. When we all had to shift to teaching online, we've talked a lot about that. And for some of us who are a little bit more tech adept, it wasn't that hard in some ways. But if someone who's kind of tech adverse, uh, having to deal with all of that online and stuff, can that, that that pushes you right over the edge. Um, the you know just the financial stability and the employment stability what's going to you know the uncertainty what's going to happen it's like we're all you know the schools are closed we're all teaching from home um uh, when this is all over what's going to happen um they've been, you know studies that have been done like the, the educators in the in the pandemic their stress levels were higher than the, the than the, fir- the first line healthcare workers um very few of the Japanese universities are adept at handling this kind of thing, either with their support for the students or supports from the teacher. And in fact, it's a lot of times they just add to it in terms of extra responsibilities, expectations, and so forth. So there's all kinds of institutional stress that people have to, to deal with. So in addition to all the things we talked about, you know, the seasonal things, the end of the year, so forth, um, we've got all of this that's been another layer of these kinds of stresses uh, and downers um, uh, as resulting, even though COVID is ostensibly behind us, uh, the effects linger and uh, they're still pulling us down. I think. Hmm. I, I realize that I have no idea how most of, or what most of my students look like. I've never seen their faces. And I'm looking at students who, some students who have gone through so far their entire college lives, right? Two years now, Mm. masked or on demand. Like what effect does that have on them? And I I grant you that. But the thing I just wanted to toss out, Tony, is in the beginning, remember when COVID was just coming out and it all the te- we knew that the schools were going to go online and remember how that was just that you know bottom up grassroots development of all the teachers getting together zooming sure 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 that was like one of the most exciting times in my teaching career in many ways that watching that just incredible show of commitment exploration camaraderie um collective working together to find solutions to problems that was a really 
incredible two months, three months, I think. Um, not saying that, you know, I'm not discounting what happened because of COVID, but I'm just saying that that was far better than any conf- teaching conference or workshop I had ever gone to. And now we're back to teaching as usual. And there's no doubt that teaching is a very isolating and solitary activity in many ways because you spend most of your time with students but not with colleagues. And then the time you spend with colleagues um, is sometimes spent in, you know, very long and, and this is redundant, tedious meetings. <laughs> mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I'm not really sure, you know, about that. But I do think you're right about the students. They have they haven't been socialized properly for how to be students in a classroom. They missed that. But you know, the other thing that's really funny is um, students were saying that they wanted to have in the beginning they wanted to have in person classes, right, face to face classes, and I kept. You know, asking them through the semester whether they, they what they wanted. Would you prefer face to face or on demand or Zoom lessons? And by the middle of the semester, like the students had pretty much flipped over to they wanted on demand <laughs> classes. Okay, more than face to face classes. So what I have to do is in my last week of teaching is just ask students and say, hey, if you could have all on demand classes or all Zoom classes, but your club activities were normal face-to-face activities would that be okay for you and i really would like to see what they say about that and maybe part of the other reason that i'm bummed depressed is because of the way universities respond the place that i work my main job right is this you know like why isn't there support for mixed hybrid classes, right? That, you know... Especially where it makes academic sense. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. There's a lot of of cases where it really makes academic sense. And why not use that as a yardstick and parameter for the curriculum? I, I, I I don't know that many universities are doing a good job with that. Yeah. Well, part of it is when you have your own classes... Right, that you're responsible for. That's not part of, let's say, a program, a program kind of like a <laughs> first year. <laughs> yeah, a first year kind yeah, of uh, class. Um, you know, general ed class, right? Yes, yes. Um, it, you can do it on your own because the Japanese Ministry of Education says if like no more than seven classes are what are called media classes and a media class is defined as on demand or zoom. It's considered to be a regular class. Well, there are certain things I do, for example, in a, in a class that's like an independent learning class where I teach vocabulary frequency and vocabulary coverage and how to use certain websites and then how to use that to understand whether you could read an article and et cetera. Well, that is perfectly set up for an on-demand class so that students can stop, do the activity, go back, follow it. You know, they have everything there. Yep. And 
I'm not sure if I'm going to be allowed to do that kind of thing. And as I said, there's another class that I teach, which is a omnibuds cl- omnibudsman class, or, you know, it's taught by four professors. And I'm the only native English speaker. The others are, you know, lecturing in Japanese, Japanese professors. And my part is in English. And, you know, I know that those students would benefit from having the automatically generated English subtitles in the YouTube videos to follow, being able to have access to the transcripts, um, being able to do the activity and, you know, review the materials, go back over, stop the video when they want, slow the video speed down, right, so they can understand the audio better. And instead of it being like, yeah, well, that makes complete sense, we get, no, Everyone's teaching face-to-face, and therefore you should teach face-to-face. And it's like, well, maybe this is an on-demand class, right? Maybe the whole thing should be on-demand, or maybe part of it. But the idea that, you know, to be flexible and to say, ah, you know, certain things are better on-demand, certain things are better in Zoom, certain things are better face-to-face, you know, that just, you know, that kind of slow-moving decision kind of thing that is, you know, that occurs in Japan can be really not oh, just Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I said. That, that, that uh, institutional stress where you're fighting the school to do your job. Well, <laughs> instead, of the, instead of them helping you and supporting you, you've got to fight them to do it. And right. Yeah, it's, it, and, you, and it's a constant struggle and it wears on you and it yeah. brings you down. Yeah. Well, part of it, I think, might also be just Japanese communication and Japanese decision-making style. For example, I was um, <laughs> at like some, the in-laws for New Year's and something came up where somebody couldn't find a parking spot. because So they were going to drive back 15 minutes to drive back to their house, park their car, and that they would take the taxi. And I suggested, well, why don't I follow you? And I'll drive you back and you could save the taxi money because it would have been like 30 minutes out of the day, right? Maybe 40 minutes. It took an hour (laughs) (laughs) for a basically, or at least it felt like an hour, but I can promise you it was at least 30 minutes for that negotiation to take place. Whereas I think in America, we would have just said, hey, that's a good idea. Let's go. And you take that and then you put that into um, an organization and decision-making is really very, very difficult. But again, I'm talking about the feeling I have, not the solution, not necessarily the answer. And, you know, that frustration, that constant frustration of how difficult it is, especially with the fact that most of the people I work with are really good people who are really interested in being good educators. But there's something that happens with the bureaucracy and, you know, the rules that just, you know, basically ruins everything. It's like the party killer, you know? Um, It's just weird, yeah. So, you know, I have that feeling and, uh, you know, it's always bad at the end of the year and then I'll spend the break, you know, getting more optimistic and then I'll walk into the classroom and hope, right. You know, that 
Well, I'll maybe, have, maybe, maybe come temp, temper that optimism a little bit and maybe, maybe approach it things like, well, you know, this might not go that way and it might not be that way. And there's certain things you can control and some things that you can't and kind of go with the flow. <laughs> well, I understand that. But you know what always crushes me and distresses me the most, Tony, is, for example, I've been, I teach note taking to all my classes and the importance of note-taking. But you're the only one. I know, but just bear with me. So I show them note-taking, different note-taking systems. I teach them about personal, you know, knowledge management systems and how it works. And I ask students to show me their notes. And this is at an advanced class. And I said, show me your notes for this class or show me your notes for any other class. Half the students said they don't take notes. And I said, well, why don't you take notes in this class? And they said, well, I can remember everything, or I can go to the learning management system and review all the uh, websites and everything. And I, I just looked at them, and what caused me such consternation and sadness was, I, you know, I said, you know, if I tested you every week, you would take notes. Well, that's but what if, I was going to suggest. Yeah. It's like, if you want them to take notes every week, then at the beginning of every class, you say, Okay, take out your piece of paper. Answer the following notes. questions. Take notes. No, I do that. You tell I, them everything to take notes. I know, but that's not the point, Tony. That's not I, the point. I, I know, I know, but it kind of like, is the point, though. It's like they're never going to be able to – they're never going to remember to take notes. They're never going to do the take notes unless there's – consequences and there's reasons for it so if it was a habit and everyone forced them to do it or taught them to do it or encouraged them to do it then it's like oh yeah okay but if it's only you again we've talked about this before it's just like whether it's manners or whether it's something else it's got to be part of the, the whole institutional program if it's one of their 15 classes a week you not it's not realistic to expect that to hold and if you're getting half of them to take notes that's a roaring success, man. If half of your students are taking notes, pat yourself on the back. That's huh. great. Okay, well, to me, it sounds like a miserable failure. Well, unrealistic expectations, maybe. I'm not really sure. Yeah. I'm not really sure. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, but that in itself is depressing to me that I'm the only person who, like, you know, teaches, you know, requires students to say, excuse me, thank you, you're welcome, please. Or, you know, to take notes or, for example, to review. You know, we start every class with a review. Mm-hmm. And I asked students, I said, who reviewed before class? And most of them don't. And I said, okay, so you're telling me that I should quiz you and test you every week. And I guess, you know, I've gotten to the point where I've just decided for next year that I'm not going to grade any homework anymore. I'm just going to give quizzes, you know, and since ChatGPT is so good at coming up with multiple choice questions, mm. <laughs> I'm just going to feed it the information. And, you know, maybe that's another well, that's, that's what they, But that's what they have been trained to do. They've been trained to take tests. And if you if they know that they've got a test, they will prepare for it. Okay, so I know that, you know, please help me understand the things that I can't, ch- that I can change and accept what I can't change. I know that. I try, but yeah. somehow, I, but I somehow, easier said than done. <laughs> I know, but somehow, somehow that, that thing, that idea seems so antithetical to the core reason I became a teacher. 
Yeah. I became an educator, which was no. I'm not going to accept the constraints or what people say, what is the potential for these young people to achieve? And, you know, fighting that, arguing with it. I mean, I started out working with at-risk youth. And, you know, know, with these kids, even these kids in Japan, though, you do succeed with some of them. And you do reach some of them. And you do change some of them. You can't expect it to change them all and to touch them all. You're not going to do it. No one's going to do that. I know that. They're untouchable. I know that. But, you know, there are just those depressing moments when Uh, you you realize nobody did the homework for some reason, uh, right? (laughs) Or, you know, nobody prepared and you say, I can't teach you today because you had to read the article and take notes and be ready to discuss it. But since none of you did it, you know, and then that's when you turn around and you say, okay, take out the article and write, you know, a two-paragraph summary of the article. And there you sit for 90 minutes or the other 80 minutes left in the class, right? Yeah. Not not moving them well, they're, forward. Well, they're essentially in class doing their homework and you're swiddling your thumbs. Yeah. Right, which is usually, I think, maybe what they do a lot of the time. But, you know, it's like doing other classes homework. So anyway, I understand all this. But I just – what I wanted to do was simply – verbalize, vocalize some of the things that go on inside my head, you know, in Mm -hmm. my heart and, you know, suggest to people that let's start talking about it more. Let's start sharing it um, and giving people the opportunity to express their feelings. Uh, You know, sometimes it's really true. You don't need a solution. You just need a, you know, a space to vent and express how you feel so that you can move forward. And let's not, you know, stifle people. Let's, you know, if somebody says, this is a terrible class, I don't know what to do. Well, give them, give them the time to, you know, express their feelings. And then when they seem to feel better, ask whether or not, you know, they want to, you know, work a little on some possible alternative strategies or activities that might work. But- yeah, that's good. That's something I was going to add. So, yes, uh, not only for the, for us, for we teachers to, uh, reach out and talk about this with our peers, but I think equally helpful would be to actually talk with the students about it. And it's with some classes at some schools that's hard, if not impossible. Uh, but sometimes you you might be surprised um, if you can arrange a, a class where they're you know. They're on some kind of activity or not, but kind of lends itself to some more direct personal communication where you can, you know, actually talk to them uh, about this type of thing. Um, you know, put them in a group and have them, for example, uh, design a class or organize and put together a class plan or something. And as you walk around, talk to them. It's like, well, why did you do this? What's good about this? Why didn't you do this? That type of thing. Um, not so much that you know they're going to have ideas that you haven't already had, but um, they get a sense of one empowerment, and also um, get them to actually see things from another perspective and think about what it is that they're doing in class and how the activities uh, in the classroom 
align with the the learning goals, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. There's a lot of different things, but I think the, the, the basic idea that you had there's like talk to them too, right? Talk to talk to other teachers. But also, if if possible, and I know that it's not always possible. I, I've had classes where it's impossible to talk to the kids. But if you have classes where it is possible um, to talk to them about um, what you, what they are doing in the classroom, um, I think it can it can have some rewards. Yeah, of course. But I've, you know, I've kind of done that with my students. So I say, okay, design the classroom. What would you do? And usually they come up with something like, oh, we we read something and then we come to class and we spend the entire time like in groups talking with our fellow students. And I go, okay, really cool. That's basically what I do. And then I do like a midterm check or something and the students are like, all we do is talk to each other in this class. <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, that's what you said you wanted, right? Uh, you know, and in my classes, the students really do spend at least an hour talking, which is so unusual in Japanese universities. And then I hear students, you know, complaining. And I you get, and then the reason I get depressed about it is I realize you know, that the student is upset. And I've, I've heard this, right? Because they say, I, I, I can't figure out how to get a high score in this class. Right? You know, I can't, mm-hmm. you know, just mm-hmm. figure out the tests and the homework. And it's like, well, I explained clearly that if you are participating in your group sessions, then you'll get a high score in the class. But I don't know. I mean, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think that the idea, though, is that we need to start talking a little bit more about our feelings because we are in a profession that has an incredibly high burnout rate. You sure? And, you know, just look at how many how many teachers just come and go. Even in the university setting in Japan, people come in for a few years and then they decide this is not – you know, what they want to do or they get burned out. I think in the United States, the average length of a a teacher's career is something like five years. Most people stop teaching after five years, which is a pretty frighteningly low number. But I guess I feel better now, Tony. Do you? Oh, good. You've talked about it a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, like for for other folks, um, you know, with the who are maybe feeling like you do, and I know I know several who do. <laughs> um, you know, as you finish up this year and try to look for next year, um, kind of basic. Um, don't work so hard. Um, you know, you get you know, the year end. The break is coming. Figure out ways to work smarter and not harder to see if you can streamline some things um, outside of your teaching. Do other stuff. Something f- that's fun, something that's enjoyable and you know, maybe but most important, something that you excel at. So you don't have, you're not putting a hundred percent of your energy and your effort into your job and when that kind of doesn't go great, then it's like, well, then there, there goes your self worth, right? You're, you're you're nothing. But if you got something else that you're doing, you know, well, piano, uh, skiing, I don't know, whatever it might be, something that you're really good at, it's like, well, okay, well, yeah, I bombed in class today, but yeah, here's some here's some Beethoven. Blah, 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 blah. All right, fine. 
Um, and um, re- I think maybe what really hard for teachers, um, you know, to dial back the introspection. Because, you know, we, we actually in this conversation we had today, it's like we're talking so much about the inner dialogue that we have, inner monologue that we have in our brains. We're always, oh, Tony, no, 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 no. With me, it's an inner, it's an inner dialogue. <laughs> There's definitely whole, three voices. It's a whole party. <laughs> when, there is, what is it Pink Floyd once said, right? There's a voice inside my head and it's not it's me. Not me yeah. <laughs> but, and just to, 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 to dial back on that. And, you know, look outside, <laughs> other people, right? You know, other people are doing a little more, a little more empathy. It's like, what do they think? What do they feel? Whether it's other teachers, whether it's students, or, you know, the train conductor, whatever it might be. Um, and um, I don't know. You might, because we talked about like interacting with the students and things, depending on the classes you got and how you read them, is you might want to have something that's specific i don't know it's getting farther and farther in the mirror maybe um but to some covid discussion yeah again i'm just going to say that my suggestion to people is that if somebody ever says something that indicates that they're bummed out or sad about something that happened in the classroom say tell me more let's talk let me listen just give people the space to talk about those things. That's mm. the big recommendation I'm carrying. Don't, you know, tell somebody, you know, I'm sorry, you know, it's, you know, it's not a matter of exercise. It's not a matter of doing something fun. I think what happens for most people who are teachers, educators, they chose this path because they were passionate about it. And this was the thing they wanted to do. And when that passionate thing that you wanted to do that you completely believed in doesn't give you the rewards that you were hoped for, especially now that I'm reaching retirement age, right? That it's not a matter of strategies or techniques or developing my hobby right now. So just please, you know, give people the space to talk about these things. Don't, you know, close people down. Uh, I yeah, think be a that, listener. Yeah, be a listener. Give people the space because I think, you know, it's really true. You know, the talking cure is an amazing thing. You talk about how you feel bad and then you don't feel as bad later. So let's create a more open space for people to, you know, do that because I, I think I've told the story a couple of times where one time there was a teacher's room and everybody was always talking about their successes and successes and successes. And I never heard about anybody's failure. Right. And then one day I just walked in and said, you know, I totally bombed today. And there was no reply. Hmm. Nobody said anything because nobody knew how to deal with that kind of statement. Hmm. And I think another time in life I said, I bombed today and everybody else went, oh, you too? Yeah, I just <laughs> bombed. And so it's like it should be part of our teacher's ethos, right, that we you know, say, hey, don't tell me about your successes right now. Let's – share our failures so that we don't feel bad about our failures so we can move forward. That's just my final recommendation of how to deal with the problem. Yeah. Be a, be a listener and also don't hesitate to, though it is maybe harder <clears throat> to open up to your peers, to use your peers, use your support network. Um, because 
you can't always do it all by yourself. Uh, so um, don't be afraid to ask for help uh, and uh, don't hesitate to offer help, right? Reach out. You know, when, you, when, when someone comes back from their classroom and you, they got that look on their face, um, yeah, it doesn't hurt you to say, hey, you had a bad one too, huh? Exactly. Exactly. I was going <laughs> mean, to say. It's not, it's not that hard. It's not going to cost you anything. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The person comes back and you say, <laughs> you too? Because <laughs> <laughs> you know the face. You see, you see their faces. Because, right. you know, you've had the same face yourself. Exactly. <clears throat> Okay, I think that's a good place to end. Okay, I just want to add one little thing. Um, uh, in the in the the show notes on the webpage, I'm gonna I have some. Um, I'm gonna add a couple of resources for people because uh, we said at the very beginning. Uh, yeah, so you know we, we kind of make light of it. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, kind of turn into a bitch session. But um, there's sometimes when you do really need help and. Uh, There'll be a couple of uh, Japan numbers there uh, for folks in case you do need that help. We hope not, but uh, just in case, don't don't be afraid to use those either. When you need it, you need it. Okay. All right. So I'm Charles Wiz. Tony Silva. We're two teachers talking, and you know where to find us. There we go. All right, Tony. That's a wrap. Yeah, and that's another year, huh? Another year. Almost another teaching year finished. Oh, it's got it. Okay, see ya. Bye.